Hello, chefs. You're listening to Chef's PSA Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, this is part four of The Kitchen, 48 Laws of Power. Stay tuned. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So for those of you asking, eventually we'll get through this 48 Laws of Power series, but I wanted to see it um, all the way through to completion. I'm excited about it. A lot of people have really liked this episode because we're talking about all the little different strategic things that go on in a kitchen and how to think about them and how to approach them differently. But before we get into all that, let me give you an update. This past week... um, I was supposed to be doing my first ever guest-centric Chef's PSA podcast, and I was going to do it at an event in Austin, Texas called Live Fire. Unfortunately, that event had to cancel due to weather. It was storming bad, and unfortunately, we, um, we had to cancel the event. And I did have a really great lineup of chefs. I think I had about a dozen chefs that were going to be on the podcast, big names from all over Texas. California, there was a lot of really exciting conversations that were going to happen, but unfortunately, it's not going to happen. So I put it in my newsletter. If you receive my newsletter, and if you don't receive my newsletter, you should, right? You could sign up at chefspsa.com, scroll to the bottom of the page. There's a newsletter sign up form. You could get it. And on the newsletter, I talk about, you know, leadership, a chef's PSA, chef mindset, something curious that I may be working on or have stumbled across, and then link to this podcast. So anyway, if you don't get the newsletter, you should, just in case my account gets banned. That was really uh, one of the big reasons why I wanted to start the chef's PSA newsletter is because I thought my account was going to get banned. It got banned once on Instagram. And then something funny was happening where I had to take the happy chef hat down. Anyway. Long story short, go sign up for the newsletter. I apologize that there won't be the guest-centric Chef's PSA episode. Um, I don't see me moving into that immediately. If I get a studio, which is something I am working on, but uh, we're not there yet, eventually we'll have guests, but I'm not sure if a guest-centric podcast will be titled Chef's PSA. It might be titled, you know, Chef's Bullshitting or something like that. Anyway, the other update is the other two audiobooks, uh, Line Cook Survival Manual. It's out. The audiobook is available. You could go get it on Audible or anywhere you listen to audiobooks. The second book, Kitchen Art of War, is also completed. Same narrator on both. The only difference is the Kitchen Art of War is going to have a PDF attachment uh, so you can see the illustrations, um, which will include the PDF book. 
The problem is it does take a little bit longer to create that. So it's done. I'm just waiting on Audible to approve it. I assume maybe even by the time you're listening to this podcast, it should be done. But just assume it's going to be out any day now. Um, it's in Audible's hands. So anyway, that's that's the update. Let's get into 48 Laws of Power. And last week, we left off at law number 33. So let's begin today with law number 34. And law number 34, be royal in your own fashion. Act like a king to be treated by one. I would interpret this as the old expression, act as if, or dress like the job that you want. Looking the part, acting the part makes a huge difference. And I mentor a lot of chefs. And I, I recently had a conversation with someone that I'm mentoring, and they are in a, uh, a cook position, and they want to move into a sous chef position. And I mentioned to them, I said, sometimes they feel like an outsider from the other chefs and sous chefs. And I said, there's, there's something that goes a long way in the kitchen that you're in of looking the part and acting the part of the role that you want to achieve. And that is, like, if all the chefs, I'm just making this up, for example, if all the chefs where you work, you know, use like soigne Japanese knives and cool aprons and you don't, as strange as that may sound, that sometimes makes people think that you're not in the click. So sometimes looking like the part gets you the part as weird as that sounds. And I'm not saying I agree with it, but it is a fact. It is a fact that when you wear the clothes and you speak the certain language, and I'll give you another example. If all the chefs that you're working around are going home and watching, you know, a Gordon Ramsay show. And the next day they come to work and they're like, did you see, uh, I don't, honestly, I don't know what Gordon Ramsay has hell's kitchen. Did you watch the latest episode of hell's kitchen? And everyone's talking about it. If you're not in that conversation, then you're not in the conversation. But if you're able to present yourself as a part of the group, then there's a greater likelihood that you will become a part of the group. Now, when we're talking about being a chef, acting like a king to be treated like one, I could also interpret this as when you act like a professional. And I've, I've seen this in my career. When you're very professional with other people, they will be professional back with you. Like I've seen this with my bosses that, you know, they come into the kitchen before and, you know, they, they're, they're all buttoned up. They're, their whites are just pressed and they look sharp and they're respectful. And it's like when they come in, even though they've never done anything to make people scared of them, people will say they're scared of them, right? It's like, wow, they're, it's, it's just because of the way that they carry themselves. It's about having that right posture. And we could probably get into body language, which is something that I think is very important. How you carry yourself. Do you stand with your arms crossed in front of you or do you stand with your arms on your side or do you stand with your arms behind your back? Do you stand with your chin looking straight up? Do you make eye contact? Do you give a good handshake when you greet people? Do you say their name? Do you ask them about themselves? These are things that I think exhibit confidence in someone and it's something that you could learn. So part of it is look the part to get the part. You wouldn't show up to a job interview for an executive position wearing you know shorts and flip-flops and you wouldn't show up for a cooking position if you had to cook, not ready to cook. So you got to look like the part that you want. So anyway, law number 35, master the art of timing. There's going to be a time when you have the opportunity to shine. And I think it's very important that you capitalize on this. I've seen a lot of chefs have so much momentum behind them, but they get stuck and they're afraid to make the next leap. I'll give you an example personally from my story is that I had a period of time when I was on top of the world. And let's call this from the years 2011 to 2014. I was on top of the world. I was 
leading the charge in the city that I was in, uh, along with a few other chefs, but I was definitely in contention. After a little setback, I kind of got stuck and things just kind of went south. And instead of me capitalizing on the momentum that I had, I was just reluctant to do more because I I was so focused on the food that I was doing. And it prevented me from really shining at the time. I mean, the offers were coming in to be on TV, et cetera, et cetera. And I was saying no, because I needed to be in the kitchen. Um, And then as time passed on, I went through a slump afterwards. And it's like people had forgotten about me. And just like that, when you're hot, you're hot. And I talk about this in some of my other books is that when your opportunity comes and it is your time to shine, as difficult as it may be, you have to embrace it because they will move on. And when I say they, I just mean the industry and your peers and the people that are watching, they will move on to the next shiny new object. So if it's your time and you have momentum, double down, keep going forward, take on more work. You could get help, but say yes. Don't dismiss opportunities when they come your way. If you think that you'll have more momentum later on when you're, when you're snowballing that momentum, just, just let it, let it ride, let it ride and keep going. So anyway, that, that's my advice because I've seen it happen to many chefs is they have so much momentum and they don't capitalize on the momentum that they have. And then before you know it, you don't even know their name anymore because they become, you know, I hate to say forgotten, but they do become forgotten in this industry that moves on so quickly. So when it's your time, master it and capitalize on it and take advantage. Law number 36, disdain the things you cannot have. Ignoring them is the best revenge. And I'll give you an example. If a competitor chef receives an award, don't get so focused on what other people are achieving and why not me? You know, if someone else gets promoted and you're thinking, why did they get promoted? Why didn't I get promoted? You waste energy on, and you give your energy to people and others by focusing too much on what they have versus what you desire. You, you think that you're entitled to that, but everyone is on a journey that you may see or may not, and it's their time, and sometimes it's just not your time. What you need to do is you need to sit back, focus on your goals, create a plan, laser-like focus on improving yourself and your craft, and your time will come. Turn down the noise that's out there because everything's going to distract you from social media to jealousy to comparing yourself to other people. It's the worst thing that you could do. The best thing that you could do is focus on yourself and how do you improve what you're doing. And I promise you, if you stop focusing on what everyone else is doing and you focus on how you can be the best version of yourself, I promise you those opportunities that you think keep passing you by will come. Law number 37, create compelling spectacles. Now, I'll use a recent example in real life, something that I did. So when I, on social media, I I hope everyone understands that like Chef's PSA is my job. That includes this podcast, social media, writing books. All of of that is all tied up into a full-time job for me. This is how I make a living. Now, in order to gain attention, occasionally you have to do things that will put eyeballs on what it is that you're doing. And you see this tactic, um, with a lot of influential people, celebrities or whatever the case may be, they create a spectacle and everyone starts looking and talking about it. And then you discover all the other things that you may enjoy about that person. So something that I did recently, and honestly, it pissed off a lot of people and it got me a lot of uh, you know nasty comments, but I did a reel, uh, I don't know, a couple months back and I talked about chefs stealing dishes and it pissed everyone off. Um, and I remember when I was making the reel. So I'm sharing this with you all now. I remember when I was making the reel, I wanted to talk about 
you know, getting inspired by chefs, this, that, and the other. But I said, you know what? I'm going to say chefs stealing dishes. And I knew by saying that it was going to be provocative and it would probably upset because I was using the word steal. And I knew it was mostly going to upset people that, I hate to say steal dishes, but it was mostly going to upset people that get inspired by other people and, you know, read a lot of cookbooks and 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 do this, that, and the other. But it was, it was intentional that I did that. I was, I did that with intention because I knew that by doing that, uh, the video would most likely go viral. And I was right. You know, I was, I was guessing, I thought, you know, it probably will go viral, but I'm going to, I'm going to risk it. And it did, you know, I think that video right now has about a quarter of a million views. It's my most successful reel that I've done on social media. And it was all because I started out by saying every chef that you know is stealing dishes. And if they, if they tell you that they don't steal dishes, they're a liar. So anyway, then I proceeded to talk about, and it was something like that. I'm paraphrasing, but uh, you know, I started out really aggressive, but the reason I did that is I was trying to create a spectacle because I was trying to, um, get people to see what else I'm doing. I want people to listen to the podcast. I want you to get the books. I am trying to help people, but sometimes I have to poke a little bit at people and be a little bit provocative just to get the conversation going to, so you could see some of the other things that are going on. So, um, I hate to say that was a calculated move. Um, but if you've been listening to the podcast, you understand that uh, everything I do is is calculated and there's a chess move behind everything. That I think the time has passed on that, so I can share that story. When you create a spectacle, it brings attention. So you could do that on social media. You could say things on social media. And I'd be careful with this because I think if you've been following Chef's PSA for a while, I think you've noticed that my tone has changed because when I first started out, I was going to be a little bit more aggressive and shocking. But I, I also noticed like it, my point was I actually want to help people. Right. I don't I'm not trying to piss people off, but I, I figured by pissing people off, we could begin the conversation. And I realized that that wasn't working. So I would caution people like don't go out and start a fight just to get attention. But there's things that you could do um, to be a little bit provocative. You could do that with your food. You could do that on social media. I think I mentioned in one of the other episodes, I would create the most expensive menu in the city because I knew that people would talk about it, it was a little bit of a spectacle. I went to dinner with uh, you know a, a very famous celebrity at one time, and they have their own um, their own alcohol line. And I remember having a conversation with them that they had priced it at the top of the market. And when I said why did they make their um, their liquor so expensive, they said it was because when you go to a restaurant or you go to a bar or a club, no one ever says get me the second most expensive bottle on the menu. You know, when people are doing the Wall Street wallet flex, they're flexing and they want attention on them. They don't ever say get me the second most expensive thing. They say get me the most expensive thing. And so this person said, that's why I position myself at the very top. I don't want to be second most expensive. I want to be the most expensive because that'll increase sales. Now, the same principle applies in the restaurant. When you have a flaming dessert or someone comes in, you know, has a chocolate ball and a stick and it's a pinata or whatever the case may be, right? They're, they're riding on the table, whatever. There's a Ghirardon with cheese or raclette or whatever the case may be. When people start doing that, what ends up happening is everyone else in the restaurant turns around and looks and says, what are they doing? I want one of those. So if they're carving the steak table side, I mean, this is why Salt Bay is, you know, you might not like him. I'm not saying I like him, but I do recognize what he's doing. He's creating a spectacle to get attention. Now, whatever you think about Salt Bay, no one knew who he was a couple of years ago, and now he has restaurants all over the world. So um, playing that character clearly made him famous and created many opportunities. I doubt he's that way in real life. Honestly, I don't know. Maybe he is. But you understand the idea of 
creating a compelling spectacle to get attention to do what you're doing. This is why, again, I'm beating a dead horse, but this is why in the old days, restaurants would come around with a dessert tray and they'd parade it around throughout the restaurant so everyone could see it and they'd say, oh, which one would you like? The chocolate cake, this, that, and the other. So it was to increase sales. I used to have certain desserts and one of them was a souffle and it was time sensitive. But whenever we would deliver the souffle, um, we'd try and take it in front of as many guests as we could so they could see it. You know, the path for the service staff would be like, try and get it around all these guests. And then we'd do a table side presentation with the uh, anglaise or ice cream or whatever the case may be. And that was all to get attention so people could say, I want that too, right? Or shave truffles at the table or whatever the case may be. That's what you need to do. Create some sort of compelling spectacle to get attention to what you're doing. Law number 38, think as you like, but behave like others. Now, an example that comes to mind right away is don't tell people how you did it at the last job. You could think whatever you want. You could think your previous chef was better, but don't go in and tell everyone how everything was better at the last job and how they taught you differently in culinary school. It rubs people the wrong way. When you're in a new place, as the expression goes, it ain't where you're from, it's where you're at. And when you're in a new kitchen, you need to behave like the way that they behave in that kitchen. Someone messaged me the other day that they were going on a stage um, and they were asking me for advice. And I said, one of the best things that you could do is pay attention to the way that others behave in that kitchen because Every new kitchen has a certain cadence and every new kitchen that you go into has certain things, little idiosyncrasies that are unique to that kitchen. So maybe they fold towels a certain way or maybe they don't slam doors on ice machines or low boys, right? It'll get you kicked out of certain kitchens if you slam a door. Maybe they cut the tape a certain way. Maybe they use scissors, maybe they use tape cutter, maybe they use a knife. Maybe they cut the tape on the stainless steel table and that's a, an offense that gets you thrown out of the kitchen. I don't know. But when you start paying attention to how everyone else works, regardless of what you think, it's important that you behave like everyone else because if not, you're going to stand out and not in a good way. So that's one of the best things that you could do when you go into a new kitchen is don't talk about how you did it at the other place. Learn the rhythm and cadence of the place that you're at. And then when you feel comfortable, I think there's a time and place, you know, you can have those conversations when people ask you, but it's different when someone asks you, how did you do it here versus going up to them and saying, oh, I don't like this. I think it's better if we do this when it's like your first day on the job, you're going to, you're going to look like an asshole. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't contribute your ideas, but what I'm saying is have a little self-awareness and, and uh, culinary etiquette. Like you don't talk about the last place at the new place. Anyway, law number 39, stir up waters to catch fish. A good example of this, I, I'll give you two examples. I'll give you a nice one and I'll give you kind of a sneaky one. So a good example of this is when you have internal competitions where you work. When you have internal competitions, you're able to, number one, breeding a competitive environment in your kitchen is a good thing because everyone gets better. When people are competitive with each other, they do get better. But it's important that you watch it closely because you don't want it to turn into an environment where it becomes cutthroat and people are sabotaging each other. So healthy competition is a good thing. So you want to create that environment where people could grow. So when you stir up those waters, you start to notice people get better, right? You encourage them to get better. You should always create an environment in the kitchen where people are encouraged to improve and they are rewarded for improving. Now I'm going to share a sneaky example. Someone asked me in my Cigar Sunday Q&A the other day, um, how do you deal with someone that thinks that they know it all? And I didn't really give a good ex uh, example. You know, those, those um, 
Instagram chats are, I think you only get like 60 seconds to answer. So sometimes I try not to ramble on and I, I recognize I ramble. But one thing that you could do is if you have this culinary competition is you make it mandatory if you can, and you put those people that you, you know, those, those cooks that know it all, you put them in there and you, you kind of see like, it's a humbling experience. I've done that many times where I've put people in a position where it's like, okay, if, if you're, if you're a BMF, let's see what it's about. Get in there and cook. And then you find out uh, that they're not. You also see it in cooking interviews. I've seen this a lot in my career where people, when you put them in a situation that they don't know because they talk a big game, but they can't back it up. You know, they call out sick. They don't show up. I've seen many chefs. Once you tell them that there's a cooking interview, they don't show up. Like they, they, it's just no call, no show. Right. Or they call off sick. If they work there and you tell them, Hey, there's there we're tomorrow. We're doing a competition. They get mysteriously sick. And the thing is, is I think a lot of times they think they're fooling people, but no one's fooled. Like when you call off because, you know, you had to compete or you, you had a cooking interview and you didn't show up um, and then you got this big excuse. Oh, sorry, it's because my car. Like, no, we all know what happened. Now, maybe it's the one off chance that it did happen. Uh, but I think that's more the exception to the rule. Law number 40, despise the free lunch. I talked about this earlier in this series that I used to work with someone that would give me gifts really beautiful gifts, um, but they weren't necessarily the best employee. And I knew why they were giving me gifts because they were trying to uh, get away with things later on. It's the free lunch. And you need to be aware when, when people are extra nice to you and want to give you gifts, there is no something for nothing in this world. I don't, I don't care what, like no one is giving you anything out of the kindness of their heart. Um, and they, they might have good motivations. They might be being kind, but they might want to be kind to get something um, in return. So be careful when you work with people and they want to give you this or they want to get on your good side and give you that. Like, just have your guard up. No one has ever really given you anything, usually, right? Maybe unless it's like your parents or a family member, usually when someone that works for you or that you work with is trying to give you something, you have to be careful because there is no something for nothing. You pay now or you pay later. And this is a lesson that I think would be good for you to learn now because it could prevent you from making some serious mistakes and owing people, uh, being indebted to people. You know, you did them a favor. They, I'm sorry, they did you a favor, and then they come back to collect. At a certain point, you're going to have to you're going to have to pay up your debt for the favor, right? And and we're talking minor things, but sometimes they're bigger things, right? So just be mindful. There is no free lunch, and if you're smart about it, you'll ask yourself, why do they want to give me things for free? What is there to gain by them giving me this? Think about it. Like just, just sit back and think about the last person that gave you a gift um, outside of a loved one, right? Someone that you work with. It, why was it that they gave you a gift? Think about it. Was, it. was it truly a reward? Was there something that you had to do for it, right? There, there is some sort of exchange for, of energy that goes on with every gift exchange, right? You, you had to do something to earn it or you will have to do something to earn it. So anyway, do that experiment on your own. Law number 41, avoid stepping into a great man's shoes. This is an interesting one for chefs because sometimes you're taking over a chef job um, and you might be going from cook and you're replacing the, the sous chef that left, or you might be going from sous chef to executive chef, or you might be taking over a new restaurant or kitchen. And a lot of times it's very difficult to take over places where someone was doing exceptionally well. I took over an executive chef job once. And, uh, this person was loved. They were loved by their entire team. 
And I went in there and thinking, well, I'm a solid chef. I'm a great cook. And I was a little bit naive. And I went in there thinking I could win them over. And I wasn't going to lay anyone off. I was going to go in and just win them over. And it was one of the biggest mistakes I've made in my career because they were so loyal. Not only had they worked with this person at this one job, they had worked with them at the previous job, like two or three jobs, they had been loyal to this person. So when I came in, you know, up front, you get the gifts, like I talked about. They were very nice to me and upfront and courteous. But then little by little, they all started quitting on me. And I regret that because I could have brought people on early on, but instead I had to deal with the constant disaster of everyone quitting to go and work for this chef. I've also done that. Like I've worked somewhere as a chef and then I go somewhere else and my team comes with me because they're loyal to me. And I often think to myself, boy, it must've sucked to be the chef that came in after me because all the team talked about was, oh, I'm going to go work over there. It's not as good as it used to be, right? It's frustrating for the new person to come in. So I would caution you if you're going to be in that position where you're taking over for someone that, especially someone that was beloved in the position, it makes it, it makes your job much more difficult. So uh, just be cautious of that. Also, from a culinary perspective, I also think it's important that you create your own path when it comes to the food that you're serving. So don't try and exactly copy another person's menu cuisine, style. You have to stand on your own two feet. That's the greatest the greatest expression someone could have is to express themselves uniquely, right? And not express what someone else has done. So you need to stand on your own two feet. And also in this industry, especially with Instagram and Google and all this other stuff, people know, like if you're copying someone else's style, people know, and it's important that you have your own unique style. And that is assuming that you're doing like a chef-driven concept. However, if it's just you know, I hate to say if it's, if it's, if it's general cuisine, I think everyone kind of cooks the same way. If we're talking about like, okay, make a gumbo, uh, everyone might make it the same way or make pom puree or onion soup. That's different. I'm talking about if you're making chef Andre's onion soup that does it a certain way, well then everyone's going to know that, okay, that's clearly their version of it. Anyway, law number 42, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. This is very common in larger operations, but it's also common in small kitchens. There might be someone that is the bad apple, but sometimes that bad apple that might be stirring up dissent in your kitchen might have the support of the people around them. So a lot of times I notice this is there's usually like a more experienced cook, could be a sous chef, but let's just say it's a more experienced cook, and they're really good at complaining and talking. And they understand how to stir up the passion in the cooks around them. So they'll say something like, oh, I can't believe the chef does this. Why don't we get that? Or, you know, they are, they are speaking about the obvious frustrations that usually everyone is feeling, but they are able to make it like to turn those frustrations, which are very normal, right? You work in a kitchen, there's going to be frustrations that everyone feels. I'm working too long. I'm on my feet all day. Why, why do they get to sit down? Why do they get water? Why do they get to make themselves this? Like it's the constant, why them, why them, why them? And so this person stirs up contention and dissent amongst the team. And the people that are not wise to this happening, they start to go along for the ride and they start to say, rah, you're right. And they, they start to rally behind this person. When you and, and if you're listening to this, you know who that person is in your kitchen. You have to be careful with them. But if you're the chef and you're aware that this is happening, it's your job to remove them. Because when you remove them from the kitchen, all of a sudden, there's peace again. There's stability in the kitchen. It becomes calm. 
So the expression of strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, another way to think about it is you have to remove that bad apple from the bunch. If not, it will spoil the rest of the apples. Be mindful of this because this exists in almost every single kitchen in the world. Law number 43, work on the hearts and minds of others. If you want a loyal team, if you want to be able to move your kitchen forward and progress, there needs to be strong leadership coming from you. There needs to be a sense of belonging. Everyone needs to have a purpose. You have to have a vision to move forward. But more importantly than all of that is you need to be connected to your team. You need to know who they are. You need to have conversations with them. They need to feel like they're a part of what you're trying to accomplish so they could be invested in it. And that's not going to happen by talking down to people. That's not going to happen by acting like you're the exception to the rule. As I like to say, Caesar is not above the law. So if a rule is for one, a rule is for all. Because the second that you say, this is a rule for all of you guys, but it's not a rule for me, right? You all are not allowed to do this, but I am because I'm the chef. And maybe there's some gray area in that. Like, of, of course, we're talking about certain things, but I'm just talking about like the rules of, if the rule is fold your towels, everyone has to fold their towels, not just, uh, not just the cook. So the chef has to do it too. Everything that you have to hold people accountable to, you need to be able to do it yourself. And I've talked about this before, but in order to win the hearts and minds of people, they have to understand that you're human. They have to understand that you're with them and they have to understand that you're not acting outside of the rules and that you support them on it. But that mission, vision, and purpose that everyone needs to understand, it has to be clearly communicated and everyone needs to understand what it is. Everyone, You should be able to go up to every cook in your kitchen and say, what are we trying to achieve? How are we going to do it? And what is your role in achieving that? And all three, all three things should be easy for them to answer. And if they cannot, then either, either you haven't done a good job at explaining that to them or they don't care. And I would assume it's probably that you haven't done a good job explaining that to them. So that's something very important because people will stick around if they feel that they have a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. And you as the chef, assuming that you're the chef, you're the person that needs to create that. And if you're not the chef, if you're the cook, you need to ask yourself, do I know those three things in my own kitchen? Law number 44, disarm and infuriate with the mirror effect. Now, Mirroring is something that we talk about in body language where you match their tone, you match their body language. If they tilt their head one way, you also copy them and you tilt your head the same way. And this is something that's done in body language to build rapport. I teach it uh, to people that, that I mentor when they go on interviews, like you should mirror someone's body language if you, want, if you want them to like you. And the reason you would mirror someone's body language is because people like things like themselves. So as a mirror, using this as an example, if you act like I act and you move like I move and you talk how I talk, that means you must be a lot like me and I like me, so I like you. That's a very simple way of explaining it. So that's a, that is just using the mirroring effect to, to get ahead, whether we're talking about job interviews. But if we want to use the mirror effect to infuriate people, I'll give you an example. I had a chef that was stealing my cooks deliberately. Like he was showing up at job fairs. He was copying my ideas. He was doing everything he could to replicate what I was creating and fronting like he was my friend, which um, like I was stupid. Like I wasn't wise to what he was doing. Like I said, I'm freaking art of war chef. Like I, I see your moves and I'm two moves ahead. But when you start doing that back to the back to them and you know the trap that they're trying to set for you and you play their own trap back on them that's infuriating 
That's the mirror effect. So as a chef, you have to be wise to this. Use the mirror effect to your advantage. If people are stealing dishes from you and you know they stole your exact dish, steal their exact dish, return the favor, and maybe they'll get the message. Uh, maybe that's an extreme example, but that's, that's basically what I'm trying to say here. Law number 45, preach the need for change, but never reform too much at once. And this is an excellent law that I could definitely apply to being a chef. Whenever I would go into a place, I would always, for the first 30 days, and I do talk about this in culinary leadership fundamentals, but whenever I'd go into a new place for the first 30 days, I would try not to change anything. I would just sit back and understand, and I would work the first 30 days straight. If it was a hotel or a restaurant, I would try to work the first 30 days straight if I could. And I would take a journal and I would mark down all the things that I wanted to change immediately. But I wouldn't change anything. I would just write them down. And the reason I would do that is because after you've been at a place for a certain amount of time, you stop seeing things that what they call wallpaper. Like it's just there. You don't even notice it anymore. You don't remember the color of the wallpaper. But when you're new and you have a fresh set of eyes, it's important to jot down all the things that you want to change. But it's not realistic that you will be able to change all the things immediately upon taking over as a chef. If you write down 200 things, there's no way you're going to change 200 things and it's going to stick. So once you've determined what those things are that you need to change, then it's slowly but surely prioritize them. What is the most important thing to change in this kitchen? And normally I'm like, if it's like a health concern, you got to change that right away. Or um, if there's something that's unethical going on in your kitchen, address that right away. But besides those two, if it's like we should move the cryovac machine over here, like just just pump your brakes. There might be a good reason why certain things are done in a kitchen that you don't fully understand yet. Because I've gone to places and I've made that list of several hundred things that I want to change. And then I go back and look at it after 30 days and I'm like, okay, now I understand why that works that way. I'm actually scratching that off the list and I'm not going to change it because I understand why it's done this way at this place. So the other reason you want to not do so much at once is because it won't stick. Whenever you're making change and you have a lot of staff, the old expression of a lot of places will do like standard of the day. And I say, do the standard until it's right. Because if you, if you hit them with the standard of the day and every single day it's something different, they're not all going to stick, right? They're going to forget what the standard of the day was 10 days ago. So if the standard, I'm just saying this is fold your towels. Let's just use this because I love this example. If the standard is fold your towels, then make that the standard every single day until you can no longer find a towel that's unfolded. And then it's like, great. We've mastered fold the towels. Now we're moving on to cut the tape straight and so on and so forth. So if you implement too much at once, it's not going to stick. The likelihood of it sticking is very low. So go slow, but be deliberate and don't overwhelm your team. Don't forget the change is more difficult for them than it is for you because they've been doing it a certain way for a long time. It's the ghost in the machine that keeps it going a certain way. And they, they might not even know why they do it. That's just the way they've always done it. So make change gradual because it can be overwhelming. And then when it becomes overwhelming, a lot of people decide to leave and then could be a bad thing. Law number 46, never appear too perfect. Show humility, be humble, be open to feedback, demonstrate that you're committed to improving yourself as a chef and a leader, and that you also have opportunity to grow. When you make a mistake, like let's just say you put a bad dish on the menu and it's a bad dish. Don't not take it off out of pride. Go take it off and tell your team it just sucked. It was a bad dish. Let them see that you are humble and that you're human and that you have and that you make mistakes just like everyone else. If you appear to be too perfect, sometimes that could cause resentment because 
because people know you're not perfect and they'll see your bullshit. And if, if they see your bullshit, but you act like that bullshit doesn't exist, then they begin to resent you. And then they, they, they like, then it's not only do we see your bullshit, but we also think you're full of shit. So being humble will actually connect you more with the team once they see that you're human just like them and you make mistakes and telling them those stories. Sharing those stories of being humble and your mistakes makes you more relatable and ultimately what you want at the end of the day, especially with your team, is you want to be relatable to them. Law number 47, don't go past the mark you aimed for in victory. Learn when to stop. Sometimes, you know, you you might achieve a milestone or an award and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the... Um, in my situation, I had achieved a certain amount of success and I kept, you know, the way I am is like, I want more, I want more, I want more. And by pushing for more, I pushed beyond the capabilities of not only myself, but also of my team. You know, we were uh, X amount of staff in the kitchen and we were creating great food. And in order to create even better food, I said, well, let's just We've pushed to this level, let's push to the next level. And so we made the food exponentially more difficult, but we couldn't. We didn't have more staff and we didn't have more resources, but I wanted more. I thought, you know, the best chefs are doing this, I need to do this. And by doing so, what ended up happening is that it ended up causing really disastrous services because the food was too complicated. We were punching way above our weight, not as an individual, but as a whole, as a collective. There was no way that we could perform at this level without more resources added, but I wanted to keep pushing and I didn't know when to stop. And because I didn't know when to stop, it ended up becoming a failure. And I think it's important that you know that you need to be realistic with your goals. And when you achieve them, if there is no additional influx of capital or resources or cooks or whatever the case may be, whatever it is that you need to succeed, then you need to know this is where we're going to be for a while, at least with the cards that were dealt. This is a very good place. Let's refine where we're at versus trying to go through to the next level that is unattainable, which may cause failure. And it's an important thing that people understand that, especially as a chef, because I've seen many chefs lose themselves, myself included, because they pushed a little too hard and they were punching above their weight without the resources available to do so. Law number 48, assume formlessness. Let's talk about culinary trends. I'm often reluctant to talk about trends and people often ask me like, why don't I post more food? And the reason I don't do that is because then you get tied to this idea of that's who they are. That's what they cook. And I go back and I look at food that I've made over the course of my career and like the stuff that I was making 15 years ago that I thought was amazing, I think is terrible now. Even sometimes I look at the stuff that I was serving five years ago and I think, wow, that's really dated. And at the moment I thought it was incredible. If I plated something today, five years from now, I'm going to look back and think it's terrible. You have to be open to evolving and I don't want people to identify, again, I'm using myself as the example. I don't want people to identify me with a certain style of food because that's not what Chef's PSA is about. Chef's PSA is about helping you become a better chef. It's not about showing you the latest technique when it comes to cooking. Uh, it's more about how to think like a chef and how to think like a strategist. That's what Chef's PSA is about, how to succeed in a kitchen as a cook or a chef. And the advice I would give to someone when I say be formless is don't pigeonhole yourself into a specific trend. And I've seen a lot of chefs go wrong with this. And I'll give you an example. 
if everyone jumped onto the molecular gastronomy trend in the early 2000s when Ferran Adria was way hot on top, and I'm talking about like serious bubble food, like spheres, um, you know, just a bowl full of air or whatever the case may be. Um, if you had, if you were serving that today, I think people would be like, what the fuck are you doing? Why, why are you doing this? No one would get it. And you might be get pigeonholed into being that chef that only does that type of food, or you're the chef that only does, uh, foraging or whatever the case may be. If you get pigeonholed into that, I don't think that's so smart. I think that you need to be formless. I think that you need to be a great cook. I think you should focus on the technique. I think you should focus on making delicious food. And I think you should have a large repertoire because trends come and go. And I could tell you as someone who was in the business for 27 years as a chef, about every three years, there's a new trend that pops up. And after about six years, whatever was going on six years almost seems obsolete and dated, especially if it was a trend. Trends die. I mean, by the very nature of the word, it's going to die, the trend. So be careful with trends. Focus on just being a good cook and a good chef. Anyway, be formless. That was law number 48. That was the 48 laws of power as told from a chef, my perspective. I hope you enjoyed this series. I enjoyed doing it. It it was provocative for me to think about every single law and how it could be analogous to a chef's life, how people could incorporate it into what they do and also things to look out for. And I hope that maybe you could come back to this series and listen to it again and maybe hear things that maybe you didn't hear the first time around. I know I do that often when I'm reading books. I'll go back and read a book again. I'll be like, I don't remember reading that. And that makes total sense now, especially depending on where you are in life. This podcast series might ring differently when you're a cook versus a sous chef versus the head chef and the chef that's opening up a restaurant. It might, it might sound different to you and different things will make sense at different stages in your career. Anyway, if you want to support the show, the best thing to do is leave five stars because it's a five-star podcast. I appreciate the five-star reviews very much. Go support what we do at chefspsa.com. You can get the books there, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals, Kitchen Art of War, Line Cook Survival Manual, How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen. There's journals available there too, chef journals. You could write shit down, which you should be you should be writing your recipes down. And Chef's PSA has a very nice journal that you could go get. If you want the free recipe ebook, it's also there. Um, it's 100 basic recipes. You could get it. Thank you all for everything. Go support Chef's PSA. Leave five stars. See you next week. Hit the porno music. Music.